0: Welcome to this series of the Become Inspired UHQ podcast. Over the next few episodes, I talk to individuals that have achieved excellence in the world of sport and fitness, explore their values, their goals, and find out how they've developed as people professionally and personally. This episode I sit down and talk to Chris Tremlett, who is the hulking six foot eight fast bowler or former fast bowler who played 28 times for England in one day T20 and Test cricket. Probably most famously uh, remembered for his fantastic bowling performance in the 2010 2011 Ashes series, where we went over to Australia and won. Um, He's gone on to be um, a very successful property developer for his own business that he set up with one of his friends and former cricketers and also is a massive fitness fanatic. And I use the word massive uh, on purpose because he has become huge, hugely muscular and strong. Um, And he talks about himself, his values, um, himself as a cricketer, his influences, Shane Warne. Uh, His fitness and many other things, so um, yeah, get a cup of tea, sit down, cosy up, and listen to my conversation with Chris. Chris, welcome to the Become Inspired UHQ podcast, thanks very much for joining us. I'm going to start off immediately by saying I'm not going to call you Chris, because it feels really, really weird calling you Chris,
1: so if it's okay with you, I'm going to call you Trem. Yeah, that's fine, thanks for having me, and uh, obviously we've been friends for, what, 30 30 years or so so um yeah you call me Chris is pretty weird so yeah all, a, if I ever story. do any, if I ever do any of these I always
0: like getting that out there straight away without like otherwise I feel like I'm lying so yeah Chris and I went to school played cricket together um he obviously went on to play a little bit higher standard of cricket than I did um although I like to think I taught him everything he knows but with this this podcast is we'll get into the cricket in a bit we really just wanted to delve quite deep into you um your mindset uh, as a sports person but now also since you've retired from cricket um, your professional life in property and also I've got a real interest as you know in, in your fitness work that you do which isn't really work is it is fun but I just want to kind of get yeah. into that because it is insatiable it is it is consistent it is every day and I just I think that's going to be a really interesting area to look at but the first question I want to ask you and that's what I'm going to ask all the next few guests is what are your
1: three current personal values that you live your life by um, so I think the first one, which I think it's probably something I've always lived by to some degree, would be enjoyment. Um, I kind of think, well, what's the point in, in living if you don't enjoy what you do? So, um, yeah, certainly at my age now and having had the career I had, and, um, I mean, when I think back to, to being a youngster, I think I always tried to do things that I enjoyed. Um, you know, I didn't particularly like school, um, but I enjoyed playing cricket. So I would do those sort of things. and um, and even now I'll just, I'll do things that, that I enjoy. I won't kind of be forced to necessarily do things I don't want to do. Or um, I guess when I retired, people kind of naturally think that you might go into cricket and coaching, but at the time that just didn't feel kind of natural for me to go into that. I wanted to do something different um, and I'm doing something at the moment, which I enjoy. So I think that's certainly one thing I kind of live by is, um, you know, and, and life is, life is too short as well. You know, you have to, you know, you only get one chance in this life and it is, you know, try and enjoy it as much as you can. It's not always going to be a smooth road and we're going to have um, ups and downs, but, um, ultimately, if you can try and enjoy what you do, I think that the journey is, uh, is a little bit, a little bit more enjoyable and, and a bit more fun. Um, Amen, brother. Yeah. Um, I think my second thing would probably be, um, belief in what you do. Um, so yeah, again, going back to when I was at school, um, I wouldn't say I was a necessarily a confident kid. I was quite shy, and I, I wanted to kind of fit in with the right crowd. Uh, and I think being good at being good at sport always helped and helped me kind of fit in into the crowd. But I was kind of a cool, uh, tall, you know, gangly uh, kid. Didn't necessarily think of myself as anything special, um, and probably you know deep down wasn't particularly uh, confident. But I always had belief in myself in. In, in cricket because i was probably better than you know even as a four or five year old i was always better than kids my age and, and coming up through the age groups so i was generally the best kind of player in in my in my year or at school um, so i always had belief in certainly things I, I was good at and i think um you know getting to where i did in my cricket career you know i, th- I think anyone that gets to um elite sport they have to have some sort of belief but um, certainly to get to um you know, playing for your country I think you have to have that kind of you know dream or you know goal as a kid that you want to get there uh, and you have to have some sort of belief that um, that you are going to get there so um, that's certainly something that's uh, I think I've always had and there's certainly been times in my life where I haven't had that or' it's, it's my confidence has shifted or the self-belief might have gone down a hill a bit but ultimately the the belief has has always been there and I think since retiring from cricket, again as I kind of mentioned before with the um enjoyment thing um is having belief in doing something different I went into property after my career and people kind of I, I guess or and it's naturally they expect you to kind of go into cricket and then you kind of um you know the year after you retire you start talking I'm doing property investment and people find that I I guess I felt people found that quite strange but I always had belief in setting up something Uh, you know business with somebody else and trying to make that work and uh, and six years later it's it's going really well and we set up a nice little uh, business and uh, and without that belief um, we wouldn't we wouldn't have got to where we've got to today so um, I think that that's that's really important uh, and something that's uh, that I always you know kind of stick to now Uh, and something and and the other thing that you you touched on with the gym stuff is is consistency I think that would be my kind of main trait you know certainly in my training and everyday life is just trying to be consistent uh you know trying to have, kind of find a, a routine that works for you everyone's different everyone lives their life differently but um the things that you want to improve on the goals that you want to set I think if you're consistent with your uh, processes and training uh, I think you've got more chance of achieving those goals if you are consistent rather than you know, going hell forever and then stopping for a bit um, in anything, or you you know you have a, you start something and you stop and then you start again. I think if you could really commit, commit to something and you and you um, repeat and and you are consistent, I think you've got more more chance of kind of nailing uh, the end result. So uh, and that, again, that's something I think I've learned over the years from having a having a, having a cricket career. Um, you know, I made mistakes along the way, but I think the best players make it to the top and and if you experience but getting to the top i think you realize that if you are consistent and you do the things the good things well more more often than not you will you will have more chance of succeeding i like that and and what
0: we're what we're talking about uh, and and the the product that we're promoting at the moment with, with schools is the idea that you know your values are like a compass to guide you And I really like almost thinking of these as like a coat of arms or like, you know, like your own personal brand. And those three words, enjoyment, belief and consistency are really good ones, aren't they? Really good ones that, that again, like you say, sum up not only your cricket career, but what you've gone on to do in property and now also with your fitness and everything else. That's great. Can I just um, can we just go back to this gangly kid at school who I obviously knew really well? and was probably quite mean to a lot of the time i I was really thinking about this and you like those three values just you just said are perfect ones for you because that that is 100 percent you 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 know and and belief doesn't is not arrogance because that's definitely something i wouldn't ever associate with you but um we'll come back to that i guess but as a as this kind of whatever you were back then six foot four six foot five gangly kid who i guess people kind of presumed you were just made for cricket because your family was cricket. Your dad, obviously, is really heavily involved. Grandfather famously played for England. Did you think much about your goals then? Um, Because my perception of you as one of your friends was, well, he's just made to play cricket and he's not that fussed about it but he'll go on and play and look at what you went on to achieve and going back to the question as a kid what did you have that mindset did you have the did you have the belief and did you set yourself goals and you know or was there a point that you can remember where you was like I'm going to take this really seriously now
1: yeah no I think I always had that belief from a young age from probably like four or five um and where I'm from in Otterbourne, we had a thing called Top of Hill Cricket, which is like people, uh, people they still do it now with with the blue stumps and the orange bull, um, you know, it's pairs cricket. We did that a couple, of times a, a couple of times a week, and it was like the highlight of my my week going there after school and, and just playing cricket. And I just remember being always pretty much the best, you know, kid in my age group. And again, I guess naturally that just gave me a lot of belief in, in something I was really good at. Um, And I think having my grandfather and father playing cricket was – was quite motivational to see where they got to and they obviously they they made it professionally so I was kind of witnessing that as a young boy um but um yeah so I think up to trying to trying to push this forward a bit but I think up to probably about 15 I always had that belief that I was going to play cricket I didn't really think about too much else I wasn't particularly academic or I certainly didn't try very hard at school um and uh you know, I was a bit mischievous, one of those kids that went down the park and would smoke and, you know, drink a bit too much when I was when I was underage. But they, 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 so I had other other distractions. Uh, and I guess probably around 15 is when, you know, you discover girls and going out and things like that a little bit more. Um, and that's when I guess I discovered there was a, a, bit, a little bit more to life than just playing cricket. Um, so I had a few distractions and I guess I veered off just solely thinking of I'm going to be a cricketer because that was always kind of the goal was like, I'm just going to be a cricketer. And I naturally assumed that I would become a cricketer because I was always, um, you know, there, thereabouts in England squads. And I was in the Hampshire, you know, under 15, 16s, under 19s. Um, but yeah, there was a point about 15, 16 where I just completely lost interest in cricket a little bit. And uh, I went to Ibiza on holiday, I think when I was 17 and had the best time ever and came back and I didn't really want to play cricket. And then, um, I remember saying to my dad, you know, because my dad was highly influential on me and was a professional. He said, you can't just go on holiday and make it, especially at this age, you've got to really commit to it. So uh but I had a I remember I had about five or five or six weeks off. Uh, and then Hampshire put me on the academy, I think the the first ever academy at 17, 18. Um uh and I went to college at at Taunton's in Southampton. Uh and just getting picked on that academy was a real shift. I'd never really done any fitness work before. Uh, I guess I'd never been involved in like a, an elite kind of program. I played like age group cricket and stuff, but being like this elite four or five group felt quite special. Uh, and then we started doing fitness and just seeing the kind of results I got from that straight away, I got stronger and fitter. Um, and just and my cricket just propelled from, from just getting a bit fitter and stronger and just having this... Uh, understanding of what it was like to become a bit fitter and what it took to kind of to t- to get there did you start um,
0: taking a more kind of strategic approach to your to a training at that point when the fitness kicked in and you realized the impact it was having on your performance did you then start going okay these are my weaknesses fitness and technically or whatever did that just come did that come through more and more the older you got and the higher level you played or was that you know was that the moment where you went, okay I'm taking this seriously I want to be
1: professional yeah I think that academy was great because I never really it was before it was just you know we just turn up and play cricket with the age group stuff and you know basic coaching but the academy was we were there f- four times a week and it was all you know all our results were jotted down our fitness levels um, you know if we were bowling in the nets indoors how many times we'd hit the cone you know how well we were batting you know coach would be marking us our scores out of 10 all those sort of things so it was it was taken very seriously and you could you could gauge how you were improving every week um and I just became I just started to love the game again uh and uh, I shot up in height I went from being about six foot three to about six foot seven uh, as a 17 year old and um and I gained a bit of pace from the from the fitness work that I was doing and all of a sudden I was I was a 17 year old kid and they're saying well if you keep doing the things you're doing you might be playing uh in the second team or the first team for the professional side um if you keep doing the things you're doing so um it all happened quite quickly and yeah did a did a year or two in the academy and at 18, I was making my my debut for Hampshire, so it all kind of um, happened quite quickly. Um, but yeah, I'd say that the kind of cementing factor was was playing in that academy stuff and really having a belief that I wanted to play, and then and then having a taste of professional cricket at 18. Uh, and I actually took a wicket with my first ever ball in in professional cricket, which you know, propelled my confidence. To the next level and I, and I got six wickets I think in my first professional game um, and I start and I started getting paid for what I was um, ultimately doing it was a pretty cool thing thing to do when your mates are kind of working at you know Tesco's and stacking shelves and, and you're playing professional cricket and getting paid for it at the time it was uh, kind of a dream come true so so yeah I, I was lucky to kind of get handed um, not lucky but you know I felt like it, it it just happened so quickly from kind of 16 to 18 I was just in the academy all of a sudden I was playing with all you know, my you know, Robin Smith guys that I looked up to for you know, 15, 16 years and, uh, um, and my mates were at college and working in, in a supermarket and, and I was kind of uh, having this opportunity to, to play cricket. So I think once I got there, it was like, well, I don't really want to uh, lose this opportunity and, uh, and things just kind of went from there really.
0: When you, um, when you really started you know, making it through to full England level, test cricket, that kind of stuff, You've said what your personal values are now. Was there, was the ECB, was England cricket really values driven? So, what I mean by that, were you, when you were playing, um, which was, you know, like you said, sort of 2010, 2011, 2012 sort of era, was there a drive on the values that you had to show as an England cricketer? Um, And did you have to follow very strictly? what the ECB was telling you or, or was the culture not like that? I'm just interested to know what the culture was like when you were involved in England cricket.
1: I think it's, I think probably like a lot of sports, um, cultures have changed so much over the last 20 years. Um, and I think the era that athletes play in now is, is so different than, than when I started, um, you know, as you know, and I think, you know, I started in 2000 and, you know, being a professional, there we were still drinking quite a lot of alcohol. We were going out during games. Um, you know, it was obviously taken seriously, but it was you know play hard on the pitch and, and we'd have a lot of fun off the pitch during games and after games. Um, and that was mainly of county cricket, but even you know the top level with England, guys would still have a drink and um, it was it was very relaxed and you know and if you were on tour, you you'd have fun. So, uh, um, but 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 ultimately, yes, all those all those values are important and certainly you know when I got to kind of get a central contract in 2010 you know so I think since central contracts came in you know the, the every sport especially cricket has been taken so so much more seriously you know fitness levels and uh, mental well-being and well-being of all players has completely changed from, from was that 20...
0: was that there when you were playing was there was there a, a sense that your well-being was being looked after or were you too early on do you think
1: I think probably like the 2005 era, it probably wasn't so much there, but then I think, was it what, 2006, 2007? I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I think it was Marcus, Tres- Marcus Gothic came home from Australia. <clears throat> and from memory that was, or well, for me, that was kind of like the first time a cricketer had you know, kind of opened up and said they were struggling about being away from home. And um, there was that, that started that kind of awareness. And I think after that kind of moment, they started to have a, a psychologist um, You know, full-time psychologists of England, um, which which you could use if you wanted to use. You didn't always have to use them, but I always found it quite handy just to have them there if I, you know, was having a
0: bad. Did you ever
1: use use a psychologist,
0: Chris? Were you ever like someone that actually got involved?
1: Yeah, I like I said, they would always ask if you wanted to have a chat and you know how you're feeling. And often I would say I'm fine. I wouldn't have a chat, but certainly there were there were times where. I might have been coming back from injury or even at times where I was feeling good sometimes it's just nice to have a, a different uh, voice to speak to <clears throat> other than the, your, your standard teammates or your parents or you know generally people that were pumping your tires up you know seeing on tv and you know seeing you do well but they might not necessarily understand what's happening underneath and <clears throat> you know and I think when people watch sportsmen on tv they just they almost see you as a robot and you're going to perform every day. It's like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you see him play, you just, you just think he's going to go out there and score goals, but you can, you forget that these, or, you know, sportsmen are normal people. They have lives, they have wives, <clears throat> they have kids. They have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. So, uh, And that can, you know, ultimately build up over time along with, uh, you know, loss of form and um, being away from home, lots of things like that. Um, it's a hugely psychological game,
0: isn't it? Um, you mentioned Marcus Truskothic and then obviously famous, and then Jonathan Trott came out, didn't he, to say that he was having real issues with anxiety and, and that kind of stuff. And I think it is one of those sports where you are very much, it's a team sport, but you're very much in the spotlight where, you know, for you as a fast bowler, everyone's watching you bowl, everyone's watching the batter. It's, it's a different sort of dynamic to other sports, isn't it? And I think, um, yeah, it's interesting to see, like you say, where... Where it's gone, and obviously now where the England team are—they're in this
1: real transition—and we won't go down that route because we haven't got time. Um no, but ultimately, it's ultimately it's a it's an individual sport. It's a team sport with a lot of individuals playing it, and, and and each individual has their way of going about things. But ultimately, it has to fit around the core values. You know, the team will always have its core values, and you, if you don't fit into that 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 team core value, then you won't fit into that team. But you still have to have your own values and go about it the right way of how you how you prepare for games and and how you mentally prepare you you have your own way but it still has to kind of fit within um you know how the team are run so it can be it can be tricky at times um, and that's why management can be so hard and that's why you know england are having a bad time at the moment but that's why it's so important that you have a leader that understands multiple different characters um, uh, it's so important because everyone's not on the same page all the time. So it's it's about trying to bring everyone together um, and being on the same page. And that's ultimately how you succeed as a as a team. It's, it's very difficult, and, we're not, and when everyone's not buying into you know what you're preaching, it can it can be very difficult. And um, and unfortunately, that's England are having one of those kind of times. it's not just uh, the management, but it's 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 how they're playing on the pitch as well. But it's it's bringing all those things together, and it, it, it is, it is a, it's a tough job to
0: do. Talking of um, a leader uh, that really had an impact on your life, I know, and and is obviously topical at the moment was Shane Warne. Are you, I know it's obviously pretty close, and he tragically passed away fairly recently. Are you able just to sort of briefly say why he had such a big impact on you as a young cricketer playing with him at Hampshire and what sort of made him so special?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, for one, it was a you know, it was, a, it was a dream for to have at the time was I still am I, the, the greatest cricket that's ever played, Um, to have him come to, to Hampshire and, you know, he, he didn't have to come to Hampshire. He was, there was no kind of money incentive. He just, he loved the club. <clears throat> uh, And when it, whenever he came to, to play for Hampshire, he wanted to get the best out of every individual and he wanted, wanted to get the best out of, you know, a team which ultimately was <clears throat> most of the time underperforming. Uh, And again, I you know, just touched on that belief word. He, he was the sort of person that was, you know, grab grab everyone by the str- scruff of the neck and like he would, he would he would lead by the front and he'd try and take everyone with him and try and install that belief that you could kind of win from any situation and uh, and you know there were some pretty novice players in, in the Hampshire side where which turned in, that, that turned into really really serious players or you know uh, and got a lot more out of them than their probably their their ability um, but for me. Um, I said I've always had that belief, but I was always in my early twenties. You know, I was still a timid, quite a timid bowler, and uh, I was I wasn't aggressive. And I think even though I had that self belief that I was good enough to get to the to the top level, I probably just needed a bit more fight and a bit more aggression. Uh, uh, and Shane Warne, obviously having been beat at the time where he played hundred Test matches and was was playing in the best site you know, in the world, and you know. Played with the likes of Murphy's and Glen McGraw and these guys, he knew what it took to, to be you know one of the best fast bowlers in the world. And yeah, he's pretty brutally honest with me and just said you just need to toughen up a bit, you need to harden up, you need to get more aggressive. Um, do you think you did? Do you think do you think that is
0: like a pivotal moment for you where you actually did? Because because you got that quite a lot in your career, didn't you? Because fast bowlers, yeah, I, I remember fast bowlers like Alan Donald and you know who else? Um, you know Curly uh, Ambrose just like staring people down and literally getting right up in the fan that's just not who you are you're not that person authentic.
1: no and, I, and it was never I was never seen as a menacing fast bowler um and and I tried to be somebody I wasn't and, I, and you kind of have to do that as a fast bowler you still have to you know even if you're not naturally aggressive person you still have to try and find that aggression and or try and have a presence when you when you bowl. uh and I think just you know him just constantly going at me and uh, you know, trying to get me more aggressive. It, it just slowly over time, I just got more confident with trying to be aggressive. And it just came uh, a lot more naturally after a while, just because I guess I had someone uh, leading me saying, right, come on, you're, you're, the, you're the guy I want, I'm going to go to to take me a wicket. Uh, and he put a lot of responsibility on me. And, uh, and when I was kind of making a few excuses when I probably shouldn't have done, he would come down hard on me. And when you've got the, the best player that's ever played the game, coming down and you telling you what to do that, that that's that's pretty special really uh, and i never I, I didn't never took it for granted and um and i, I owe a lot to shame on I've, I've said it in previous interviews and um and when i retired he was one of the first person people that i messaged and just said you know thanks for all your help at hampshire and i really appreciate you kind of um helping me get to where I, where I got to and and even when i was playing for him and he was commentating things like that he'd always come and say hello and he'd always come and uh, give me tips, and you know, when, even during the Ashes in 2010, he would be out on the pitch and saying you're bowling really well and bowl like this to this guy, you know, because he still treat me as a friend. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, I can't speak highly of, of him enough, and it's still pretty surreal that that he's that he's not here anymore. But um, but yeah, but not not just not just for me, but so many other guys in that Hampshire side in the in the early 2000s. Uh, uh, it was you know, even the guys that he wasn't necessarily close with. Um, he's he's affected their lives in 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 so many ways and you know i've seen ex teammates like michael brown um michael carberry you know i've seen them you know, kind of spoken to them recently and they, and they all say the same thing how how weird it is in him not, him not being anymore and, and what and what an influence he had on so many people um but he was just so mentally strong he's the kind of <clears throat> for me pinnacle of someone you know he might not be the, you know might do not doesn't do everything to the book but in terms of mental mental strength and stepping over the line to to perform uh by god he was kind of um he was able to kind of just switch it on uh when he needed to and um yeah it was pretty pretty inspirational uh person in, in an elite sport to to experience that with thanks for sharing that he's
0: definitely my inspiration to become an unbelievable leg spinner right now um <laughs> you know I'm ragging it um <laughs> can we go on to your fitness? Because anyone that has seen your social media posts, one of the sort of big things that's come through recently is your massive transformation from, we've used the word gangly before. I mean, you were naturally as a kid, you know, quite tall, skinny nickname of Twiggy. And now I don't know what your stats are, but you, you know, we don't, you don't, I don't think you like the term bodybuilder because you're not really a bodybuilder, but you are effectively bodybuilding because you're, body is totally different can we just like go into you know what do you think it is uh it do you think and again i was thinking about this is it the fact that you were naturally thin and you were nicknamed twiggy and you were six foot seven and and you know people it was banter and all that sort of stuff i've got a brother who's you know he's five foot four and the opposite end of the spectrum but is also strongman training do you think that there's something in that that you you know almost got picked on and now you want to build up that that body or is it purely down to your love of fitness and training and consistency, like you said at the beginning of the podcast?
1: Yeah, I think it's... Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I, would ever, I was ever brilliant at school for being tall and gangly, but, you know, you certainly... <clears throat> when you're the only kid at school, I think at 15, and I'm you know, I'm ducking under doorways, and, you know, the you know, the year 10 and 11, they're kind of going, oh, he has to duck under doors and things like that. And, um, but it wasn't... Yeah, it was just... I guess it you just that there was that awareness that I was different. Um, and I guess just being skinny with it. And I think there's there's so many, you know, guys that go to the gym or skinny kids that are teenagers, they just they just hate being skinny. You always want to be the guy that, you know, like you know, watching He-Man, that was my favorite <clears throat> cartoon as a kid. Uh, and I always wanted to look like He-Man, but naturally I just didn't look like He-Man. But then there were some kids at school that naturally had a you know bigger physique and things like that. You're a bit um, more like skeletal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I guess with cricket being a big, bulky, you know, if you want to be a bowler, being a big, bulky guy, that again, that doesn't it doesn't really fit into the, the physique that you need for for fast bowling. Um, and obviously, naturally being skinny, it you know to to put on muscle and weight, it takes a lot of um, effort and, and understanding how to do that. Um, so. Yeah, I think when I again like started the academy, started doing a few weights, and uh, it was actually probably when I was about twenty. Actually, in the the national academy, um, guys might some of you might remember a guy called Alex Tudor. He was quite a big, strong guy that did weights in the gym, (coughs) Uh, and I looked up to him originally and was like, he had a big chest and shoulders. Um, He didn't have any legs on him, um, which is what you actually need to be a bowler. But I just wanted to look a little bit bigger, and I started doing a few weights with him in the gym and. You know I actually really enjoyed it then um and I did put on quite a bit of weight quite quickly um as, as I think you do when you when you naturally get into weights and you start eating the right things and eating the protein and stuff you, you get those kind of newbie 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 gains they call it um so I started to to, to, to enjoy it then but the I remember the fitness training at the time is like you know with cricket it's all about mobility and core strength which it, which it is so there was kind of you know a, li- a limit to kind of you know limiting the weights a little bit and then you know going back to Hampshire uh, on another year 2003 I came back probably about 10 kilos the heavier than I did the the winter before um because I I was kind of left to my own devices in Australia and I did all the fitness training got fit but I was you know secretly you know pushing out the beach weights and things like that because I just wanted to look a bit better Um, but then the season would come round as well and you know you play so much cricket, you weren't able to really get in the gym. So I'd lose, lose all the, the weight during the season. And the winter, you get a bit more time and I'd bulk up a bit. It was kind of like a revolving cycle. But coming back to your, your point, really, is ultimately, yes, there was a, a mental um, thing in there of being skinny as a kid. Uh, and I think when I retired as, as a cricketer, you know, because there were times where I was, I was still quite big as a cricketer and I always did, a, did weight training. Uh, and and like my fitness trainers would try and restrict me doing weight training. They'd even measure my chest and legs and shoulders and things and like to make sure I wasn't getting too big. Um so when I retired, I just thought, well, I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna train how I want to train. I'm gonna see how I can actually push my body and see how strong I can get, see, see if I can get a bit bigger uh, and just train in a completely different way to how I've ever trained. You know, I haven't got anyone telling me what I need to do, what I need to eat. <clears throat> um so literally the, the day after I retired, I was, uh, I, you know, I started a new job but at the same time. I was straight into the gym every day, six times a week, watching bodybuilder videos on YouTube and Instagram, which I'd never been on before. And just having an understand, try to get an understanding of what it took to how much I'd need to eat uh, and, and you know, train different body parts, which again, I'd never really done. I just do a few weights before and cricket based exercises and training. So just started to train like a bodybuilder for for six months a year and then put on some size quite quickly i think i think i finished my career at about 105 kilos and i think a year later i'd put on about 10 11 kilos like really really quickly and it wasn't what's the way so now i'm right now about 125 but the biggest i've got to is over 130 kilos um
0: that's incredible so you uh when you finished playing cricket
1: you're about say you're about 100 kilos I was about 105. The heaviest I ever was when I played cricket was about 110, but that that was probably too big as a cricketer. Um, So yeah, about 105 kilos. You know, now I'm 125, but you know, I wouldn't say there's much fat on me. So I probably gained about 20 kilos of of muscle. Um, I was over 130 kilos, and I was I was I was a bit bigger, but I was probably carrying a bit more um, a bit more fat on me. But that's kind of what people don't
0: necessarily know. They don't follow you is. You literally get up every day, whether you're fit, injured, ill. I've never really met someone I don't think like you, and that has almost become your kind of social media brand. Is it doesn't matter. Back in the gym. Back in the gym. Back in the gym. Pretty incredible. I mean, can I just like back to you, like you? You obviously it's interesting because you were you were restricted as a cricketer like you said, because you had to you had to perform as a fast bowler and being a big 130, 125 kilo, you know, bodybuilder effectively is not going to help you bowl. So I get that part of it. But you know, now you're 40, I hope you don't mind me saying, and a dad of two, you know, what is what
1: is the motivation behind getting up every day,
0: uh, rain, wind or shine and yeah, training? I think dog? I think it's
1: still a lifestyle that people wouldn't have necessarily seen it with cricket because obviously people just see the you playing cricket, but I was always a bit of a trainer so I would do my my cricket nets and you know my skill work, and then I would go and do some weights or go and do some extra core work or go and do some fitness, and I would probably stuff I didn't need to do, but it was almost like um, there was a bit always this thing in the back of my head was I wanted to always make sure I was doing a little bit more than I probably should because if I'm not, I because you know, there are times where you wouldn't do it and you get injured or you wouldn't perform, and I'd feel guilty for that. So I always felt like if I felt like I was training as hard as anyone else, um, I wouldn't have any regrets because I knew I was putting in the work. Um, and I did generally enjoy the gym. I always enjoyed the gym. Um, even when I was playing for Surrey in 2010, 11, I think when I, when I first joined, we actually had a 24 hour gym below where I lived in, in Vauxhall. And I, I and sometimes I couldn't sleep and I'd go down at three in the morning and I'd just, even if it wasn't anything heavy, just get a pump or, you know do a bit of rowing or something just just i just enjoy doing it i've always enjoyed the gym ever since probably about uh, 18 19 do you think
0: you're do you think you're addicted do you think it's your you know some people drink drugs you know things that are bad for them in inverted commas do you do you think you've got a bit of an exercise addiction and i don't don't necessarily say that in a bad way obsession addiction you know i'm not saying you're unhealthy you're you're one of the healthiest people i know because and the other thing with you is you, you have a beer, you know, you eat a pizza, yeah. you're not
1: ridiculous like that. You know, how, how do you, do you ever stop and think about it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to really, when you say it, like like break it down and even like understand myself, like myself um, sometimes. But but I think ultimately is, yes, I was the skinny kid. I don't ever want to be that skinny kid again. Uh, and I know how my, and I know how my body works because I've trained for so long and I know what works and doesn't work and I've trained in so many different ways and I've tried so many different diets with cricket and been away from cricket. So I obviously know my body quite well, um, but also know mentally that I just prefer to do something each day than not, because if I don't train um, or have a day where I'm really busy and I don't get time to train, like today, I didn't have time to train. I just, in the back of my head, I'm, I I just feel strange. Um, even though there are times where, you know, I have to rest and I will rest, but those days are the hardest days whereas I think most people they go to the gym because they feel like they have to go to the gym and they don't enjoy the gym whereas um the people that do enjoy the gym they find it very strange when they don't go to the gym so so I think yes it is there is partly an addiction there because of how it feels like I enjoy the feeling of like getting stronger I enjoy the feeling of like my my muscles feeling burnt out after a session um, and also, I enjoy the the challenge of like getting fitter as well. Um, I've always enjoyed being fairly fit, and I had a phase of when I retired of just bulking, and I didn't do any cardio, and I got to like one hundred and thirty three or four kilos or something. But I was so unfit, uh, and I when I had Theo, our first boy, um, I was like, you know, I just need to get fit again. So now there's like a balance of still trying to stay strong, um, but I want to kind of stay fit with it because when you get to forty, it, you do realize it is you know, you need to look after yourself and your heart and, uh, and keep going. Um, so yeah, there's just that, just that balance of staying strong and, and, and being fit. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's, it's just being consistent in something I, I really enjoy and I don't want to fall off the wagon because if I don't train for, for two months, I know how hard it is to, you know, to lose it and, and come back. So, uh, again, my, my kind of ethos or, um, Way of thinking is, if I'm consistent, then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose too much uh, if I if I completely stop, you because know, because you know, so, some people like to train really hard and then they'll have a couple of months off and then they'll they'll go again, which is which is fine. You also need those periods, but um, I just like to to, to stay consistent and uh, and just keep doing it, you know, four or five days a week, six days a week. Um, but more than anything, I think it's as good for my for my mind. Um, it just keeps me it keeps me sane.
0: Brilliant answer. I've got a couple more questions. Um talk. So we've talked a lot about belief and consistency. And they're the two words I've written down. They were two of your three values. And I think they're they're definitely two things that I'll take away from this conversation. Um, and definitely try and put into my own life. Um I wanted to ask on the enjoyment side, which was your other value, can you remember like a really funny story from cricket? Is there anything that you might not have said on another podcast or anything that springs to mind that just really made you laugh or it might not even have to be from cricket necessarily but I guess it would be quite interesting for people listening to hear about a story from
1: cricket that was really funny um well I knew you I, I knew you were going to ask me this sort of question so I did have a bit of a think about this one um and yeah, there's there's a lot of stories off the pitch, which I probably probably shouldn't say on this podcast. Might need to keep them. Um,
0: it, just to, I might need to. There might be <laughs> the kids listening, so if if you're going to tell me a really really bad one, no,
1: no. there's no. I thought I thought of something which I did completely forget about for for quite a while, and I don't think I don't think anyone knows this story. But um, so we were playing at the MCG, which was probably the biggest Test match of my my life, and I got I got four wickets on Boxing Day, which is the greatest achievement of my life. But Probably the, the funniest thing which I uh, I remember now um, and also kind of going but you know this this uh, we're talking about mindset stuff the dream as a cricketer that it was a nightmare the nightmare that I would, I would always have when I was playing cricket was um, I would be I would be going out to bat but then I couldn't find my pads or I couldn't um, I didn't have my bat, my box on, or my thigh pad. I couldn't find my bat, and then you you're, you're trying to get down the stairs, and you can't get down the stairs because your legs aren't working. Um, and then you basically get timed out. So that was always like this weird nightmare that I would have when I was playing cricket. <clears throat> but it never, um, it never really came to reality. Uh, I never kind of went out with like the wrong gloves on or. Obviously, forgot my bat or anything like that. But <clears throat> that MCG test match, because um, you're people that haven't been there, you're like down in a dungeon. It's such a big ground and coliseum. Uh, and the, the bowlers, when we, we bowled them out for 98, I think we got about 500. So we were sat in the dressing room for two days, and all the bowlers are generally just camped out on the massage beds. And you, you, you're just kind of watching the TV and you could kind of hear like the rumbling of the stands and things when there's a wicket. Um, and I think I was getting, I was, I think, uh, who's batting? Bresnan, I think Bresnan was batting and Swan went into bat and I was next in and I was kind of um, having something done with the, the masseuse um, and wasn't really concentrating. But I had my pads on and everything. And then there was, and then Graham Swan got out and he was like, oh, and you're in. But, and it's quite a big walk up to the, you have to go down the tunnel and everything. And, uh, I, I got all my helmet on with that and everything. And I, uh, I basically got like halfway up the tunnel. I realized I didn't have my box on. Um, and yeah. And I was like, I've already taken like a minute to get up halfway up the tunnel to run all the way back scrambling for my box. I don't think I found my box. I put, I think Steve Finn's box on (laughs) or something like that. I can't remember. Absolute panic. And, uh, Basically, like, legged it up onto the pitch. I think I was batting with <clears throat> Jonathan Trott and he probably doesn't remember. But I was like, oh, "Yeah, buddy, I can't, I can't find my box." And it's like thinking back to that um, that nightmare that I'd always had throughout my cricket career. I think I, did, I think I probably got two or three. I something and got out," but because I was what I was thinking about was I've just forgotten my, you know just forgotten my box. But, um, but yeah, that that was quite a funny one because it's um, <clears throat> again, it's that nightmare that I always had as a as a cricketer that you never want to happen and and it probably happened in the biggest, biggest game of my uh, to some degree happened in the biggest game of my life. And also formal apology in <laughs> Stephen Finn from Trem for um wearing your box without telling you. yeah um, I don't know if any but you know I, I I remember I was scrambling around for this box and just saw a box and and put it on and, and legged it out in front of about you know 70,000 people or something. It was quite, quite funny. If only they knew what you were doing. Behind closed doors.
0: <laughs> Final question: Have you got <clears throat> is there any little snippet, like a nugget of advice for uh, for um, a, a, an ambitious young cricketer, fast bowler, sports person, or, or anyone <clears throat> to be ambitious or successful? Anything
1: that you could leave behind? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things, but I think, I mean, certainly from a younger age, just just enjoy it as much as you can, I think. And I, mean, that's, I think so many people will say that, but um, just try and enjoy it as much as you can. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the classic stuff, really. Enjoy, enjoy it and, and work hard. If you really want to, you know, achieve something, you have got to put in the hard work. Um, and we live in a world now where, you know, we have social media and everything is scrutinised so much and everyone's kind of looking at you on, you know, everything's filmed and videoed. Um, it, it's really difficult and I don't, I don't kind of envy mm-hmm. some of the kids that kind of have to grow up in, in the kind of world we do now, cause we didn't really used to have that. Um, but ultimately if you want to get to the top level, you have to work hard. You have to put in so much effort. You have to make so many sacrifices. Uh, and I think again, when I was that 16 year old kid, I got to that point where I was like, do I really want to make these sacrifices? Uh, part of me didn't but I'm so glad that I chose the other route and was like okay I'm not gonna keep going down the park I'm not gonna go out to the pub I'm not gonna go to the parties on a Saturday I'm, I'm gonna work hard and go to the gym and do the extra sessions and uh, and made sure that I turn up on a Saturday or whenever it was and play my best um, and and lucky for me it's worked out and, and, I, and that's one of the reasons I think why I got to where I got to is because you, you make those sacrifices so um, if you want to get to the top, you will, you will get to a point where you do have to do that. Talent will only take you so far. Um, and then the hard work um, and, and mental stuff has to, has to kick in at some point. So uh, uh, it's just identifying, I guess, that that phase of, of when the sacrifices have to come. And, uh, and if you really want to make it, you've, you've got to put it all into, into, into what you want to do. Drem, thanks so much for your
0: time and for giving us the, those lovely little um, bits of advice and, and uh, an insight into what's made you successful. If you um, don't follow him already, it's Chris tremlet 33 I believe, Instagram. That's Instagram. Right. Uh, what's it called? I don't even know what it's called. The Instagram what? Hashtag, is it?
1: <laughs> we are rubbish. I don't know. I don't know. A couple of forty-year-old men. We're too old for Instagram, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want, if you want to watch a few fitness videos, then uh, yeah, that's my page. So it's just mainly me doing what I do in the gym and things. But
0: Chris Tremlett, thirty-three, top man. Thanks very much, Chris. Belief, consistency, and enjoyment. Those are the three words that Chris. Said were his core cool, his core cool values at the start of the episode, and they were definitely the three words that came through as we had that conversation. Um, I do know him well, but actually recording that has allowed me to probably get to know him even better. And as he said, I've known him for over 30 years, but it's been great to sit down and, and talk to him uh, at, a, at a deeper level about his mindset and his performances for England, but also how he's developed and what he's gone on to do later on in his life. Um, thanks very much to Chris for sharing that with us. For more information on our wellbeing app, projects and resources, or simply just to get in touch, please visit us at uhq.co.uk.